You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Yeah, that that prayer that we pray every week is an important one. It's this uh, precious gift that Jesus has given to the church. And we are going to have a sermon series where we start talking about it called Lord Teach Us to Pray. Uh, Because it's one of the few times that Jesus was asked a direct answer by his disciples, or asked a direct question by his disciples that he actually answered. God, how do we pray? And he goes, like this. And so we're going to spend some time uh, talking to God and not just talking about God, because that's one of the things that's really important to Jesus, uh, that we would move from talking about God, which is a good thing, uh, to talking to him. The measure of our Christianity isn't just in whether we can give the right answers to certain questions. It's in how close we are to Jesus Christ and how well we know the Father to whom we pray. And so if you would turn with me in a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read the whole prayer, and we're going to talk about just a part of it each week. So Matthew 6, starting at verse 7. Matthew 6, 7. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus begins this prayer much the same way that people begin a letter, with an address. Because a prayer like a letter, if addressed to the wrong person, can go in the wrong direction. It's very important that you talk to the right person when you pray. So Jesus tries to help us answer the question, am I talking, are we talking to the right person? In this season, I think we've all had the experience of talking to the wrong person, uh, because, you know, you order things on the internet and they don't show up in the way or in the time or really anything like uh, what you kind of expected them to do, right? If you're dealing with a click list and you suddenly get six substitutions and none of them make any sense and you get double charged for almonds, but you didn't even order almonds and you try to call in and find out what happened and who bought the, like, where did this go wrong and why and, and how can we fix it? And no one seems to understand uh, what happened, and you can manage to talk to three or four people before it ever gets solved. Or if you order something on Target or Wayfair, and they say it'll be there in four days, and then four days go by, and you check, and it's going to be four days, and then four days go by, and you check, and they say it's going to be two weeks, and you think, hang on, you definitely sold this to me eight days ago. Like, you took my money, you have given me nothing, and now you're telling me you never had it to begin with? Like, who who is going to solve this problem for me, or really any time you deal with Target or Walmart or Amazon or the mega corporations, you sort of have this experience of talking to a, a robot in live chat and then calling the robot and trying to convince the robot that you need to talk to a person, but the robot is not convinced. And then you manage to get to a person 
and the person is clearly not the right person, but you have to tell them the whole story in order to convince them that they're the wrong person, and they pass you on to somebody else who will eventually transfer you to a different department, and all along the way you're thinking, am I talking to the right person? And it's, it's maddening, right? I mean, if you've ever done this, you know that you just want to start yelling at some low-level employee in a call center. And it's not their fault, and they're not remotely responsible, which is actually one of the things that's so frustrating. The corporation has managed to spread everything out so that no one can be blamed, that no one can get yelled at. And so you just want to march into a CEO's office and go, this shouldn't be like this. And there was a guy last year who solved this. He cracked this problem in 2019. At the Amazon annual shareholders meeting, Jeff Bezos is standing up at the front of the room talking about how Amazon is solving all of the problems of humanity on Earth. Uh, that they have managed to go net zero carbon by such and such a date. That Blue Horizon is going to conquer space and give it to you in just two and a half hours. Right? That there's Prime now even for Mars. It's going to be amazing what Blue Horizon is pulling up. They're going to give shares and dividends to all of their shareholders and they're going to be delivering everything with robots and drones. It's going to be amazing. And a man who had bought stock just so he could stand up and ask this question stood up and asked the question, okay, but can you help me return this? And he had brought with him a very familiar box and was talking about a very familiar problem to everyone in the room. And it just doesn't matter if you can handle all of these amazing things if you can't deal with the most important thing, which is helping me get the thing you said I was going to get. And Jeff Bezos, with the eyes of the world watching him, said, yeah, I'll help you with that. And I will get some other people to help you with that. And well, I'm sorry, that shouldn't have happened. This guy is my hero. I love everything about that, like that he managed to figure this out to, to get to the right person, to finally have that conversation is amazing to me. It, Jesus is helping us talk to the right person. He's giving us the information on how to find the CEO of the universe, the person who is absolutely in charge, the one you really need to talk to. And he gives us three identity markers at the beginning of the prayer. And in Greek, the word order is a little different. We're going to talk about it in that way. So it sounds like this in Greek. Father, ours, the one in the sky. So we're going to talk about Father. Jesus calls him Father. The importance of that statement cannot be overemphasized. That's a very human choice of address. He could have called him a lot of other things, but he doesn't. Jesus could have called him Yahweh. I am the God of a family, the God of a race, the God of a very specific group of people, Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. The God of David, the God with a city, the God with a country. The God whose name is as long as his story. But he doesn't. He could have called him the Lord. This mysterious, pious name within Judaism, where you talk about God without actually talking to him, without ever daring to name him, because his name is too holy to put on human lips. So God is distant and holy and other, and I am small and sinful and just not worth even talking to. But he doesn't. He could have called him Zeus or Jupiter, the god of Caesar, the god that had brought everyone together and had brought peace on earth in its way. The God of patriotism and politics and power. The God who's going to make this country great again. But he doesn't. He could have called him Sabaoth, the God, the Lord uh, of hosts. The exact opposite of Caesar. Right? The God who comes a-conquering and destroying. The God who brings justice 
for the people at the margins, for the minorities, for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the oppressed. But he doesn't. He could have called him just God. Elohim. Theos. Just a generic term for God. A God with no distinguishing characteristics, with no particular story. A God who anyone and everyone can pray to and remake in their own image. But he doesn't. Jesus calls him Father. He doesn't use a single word that even sounds like God or the name of some deity or someone divine. He, he talks about him as a God of skinned knees, a God who wakes up with you in the middle of the night and holds you close when you have a bad dream. He's the God of bad jokes and barbecues. That's the name that Jesus chooses for the God of the universe. A word that is simultaneously inclusive and exclusive. A word that's about family and power and justice, but very different versions of those words. Jesus manages to help us to understand who God really is, the Father. If you are talking to the Father, you're talking to the right person. If you're talking to any of those other names, you're probably talking to the wrong person. If you're talking to some God somewhere else, you're talking to the wrong person. We're talking about someone who's intimate and close to you, someone who's in your family, someone who cares. And as a disclaimer, I know not everyone has a good experience of that word, Father. Uh, I know that some of us uh, would probably think of that word as someone you should never look up to and you'd never want to be like. I know that some of us just think of that word as someone who's missing, someone who's absent. I know for some of us that word is just synonymous with someone monstrous and cruel. And I will tell you, if you have a horrible understanding of the word father in human terms, then you have a unique, a unique advantage in understanding what Jesus means by the word father. Because you will never be tempted to confuse the God of the universe with a merely human dad. You'll never shrink him down to something that small. And in fact, the thing that you've always wished that your dad would have been, the thing that you just are angry about or sad about or deeply wounded by, the thing that you just instinctively long for, that thing that you're looking for is something that only God can fill. And the rest of us, who may have some positive understanding of the word father, are at a serious disadvantage. Because we aren't necessarily longing for a better understanding of Father. We aren't missing that in our lives. But we at least get to understand the metaphor. We have some idea of what it means to look up to somebody and want to be like them. To think of someone as a protector and a provider. Someone who's there and cheering for you. Someone, when they get mad at you, it's because they love you. When they punish you, it's because you're not becoming the person that they know that you're built to be. Someone who wants only what's best for you. Someone who cheers for you and champions you. Someone who's full of wisdom. Someone you just want to sit and talk to because they have good thoughts about you and your life. Jesus calls him Father. That's the person we should be talking to in prayer. If you are imagining any other kind of God, then you are badly misunderstanding the gospel itself. Because this word is intimately connected to the content of the gospel. What exactly it is we believe we found in Jesus Christ. What exactly we've been given in Jesus Christ. A relationship to the God of the universe who is a good, good father, as the song says.
There was a German theologian uh, named Helmut Thielicke, and in World War II, he wrote a series of sermons on this prayer. While bombs were falling in Stuttgart, he was thinking about God as Father and the nature of humanity just sort of wandering in the wilderness of the world, stuck and lost as though we were in a forest. And there's dangers real and imagined around every turn. As long as there's no God with us, we're just longing and hoping for somebody who knows the way, somebody who can tell us it's going to be all right, somebody who who knows where the pitfalls and the dangers are and who can actually lead us through this in some way. And without that, we're just people lost in the darkness. And he says, now, modern man calls this weird sense of threat, anxiety, the anxiety of life, the fear of life itself. And mankind knows, or thinks he knows, he's actually alone in the dark forest of his life. Would it ever have occurred to us to believe that there was a father out there? Especially in these ghastly months, these valleys that all, all of us are going through? Doesn't the world seem a dreadfully unfatherly place when we think of the hundreds of thousands of graves in Russia, the cemeteries of devastated cities? Can we help thinking of all those who sleep in those graves as orphan children beset on every side by death and the devil without the protection of a father? Hasn't it always been so ever since the world began? The history of the world taken as a whole is a story of war, deeply marked with the footprints of the apocalyptic horsemen. It is a story of humanity without a father, or so it seems. Only on one condition, and that condition would be tantamount to a miracle, could we say, our father. And that would be if the father had spoken to us if he had first revealed himself to us, and if we could, actually and beyond all conjecture, say that he was with us. That's what God has given us in Jesus Christ. A revelation that we are not alone in this universe. That there is, in fact, a God who doesn't just exist, didn't just make things, but cares deeply about us the way a father does for his children. If you've been looking for meaning and purpose in life, this is why we find it in Jesus Christ. Jesus who says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father looks like? Look at Jesus Christ. Jesus who calls him our Father here, but uh, our Father might maybe be more accurately my Father. Because uh, Jesus will regularly call him my Father throughout the Gospels. Jesus has this unique relationship to the God of the universe. He is the only begotten Son of God we hear. The Son of God who dies for humanity on the cross, but uh, God himself in the flesh. Jesus is uh, fully human and fully God, two natures united and not confused. He has to be human or he can't save us. He has to be God or he can't save us. He's both of those things. But it's hard to talk about the sonness of Jesus Christ without diminishing the godness of Jesus Christ. And so this is where we get into something that the church has talked about for many, many years called the Trinity. The idea that there's one God in three persons. That there's one God and yet three distinct persons within that God. That Jesus Christ, before he ever walked this earth in human feet, has always been the Son of God. Always. Since before time began, he was begotten and not made. He is God from God, he is light from light, true God from true God, eternally begotten and of one substance with the Father. He has to be God himself or he cannot save us. So Jesus Christ, the Son, is everything that the Father is except Father. 
and the Father is everything the Son is except Son, and the Spirit is everything that the Father and the Son are except Father and Son, and this is the God that we believe in, a God who is well, always and before all things, and yet somehow that God himself could be distant from God himself and become one of us and walk this earth in human flesh as Jesus Christ. And so the amazing thing about this word, our, in the prayer is that it unites us to Jesus Christ. That we become united with Jesus and that we begin to say, our Father, along with Jesus who can say and always has been able to say, this is my Father. We get brought into the family of God. This is a, the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, that you and I can become children of the Father, adopted into God's family, that God's Spirit can come into our hearts and say, Abba, Father, can cry out for us. And so the gospel isn't just that Jesus dies for our sins to make us right with the world. It isn't just that Jesus forgives us all of our failures. It isn't just that Jesus rises from the dead and changes our lives. It's that he's bringing us into the very nature of God himself that he's connecting us with the very heart, the very essence, the very nature of God. There was a great saint in the church named Athanasius who used to say, uh, what he is by nature, we become by grace. What he is by nature, we become by grace. I am a self-absorbed, horrible human being, and by grace I become like Jesus Christ. I am a deep, terrible sinner, and by grace I become the righteousness of God. I am merely human, and by grace, I get to be called a child of God alongside Jesus Christ. You get to be called a daughter of God alongside Jesus Christ, a son of God alongside Jesus Christ. You have a completely different family and a completely different destiny. There is a great good news in the phrase, Our Father. But the Our Father doesn't just connect us to Jesus Christ. It doesn't just connect us into the very heart of God himself. It also connects us to one another. Because you can't call him our father without at some level realizing there are other people who call him our father. Right? That you and I become brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we've been reborn in baptism into a brand new family and the blood that connects us is much richer than the simple biological family we come from. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a brand new way of calling one another family. And this is something the church frequently misses, especially in our country in this particular time. Because we have brothers and sisters whom we massively disagree with, whom we see on TV and say, oh, that's horrible. Oh, I would never say that. Oh, you're a terrible person. Oh, that's awful. But you're my brother in Christ. You have to do it. You have to do it. If you can say, our Father, you have to acknowledge at some level that these other people come with that label. Many of us would love to say, my Father. I, me, and my never appear in this prayer. It's not an option for us. There are many of us who would love to say, well, life is just about me and Jesus Christ, and I'm not really that interested in the church. That's not really an option for us. The Bible never gives us that option. You can say, I don't like the church. I don't like the people in the church. Those people are obnoxious. Those people are sinners. They're terrible. They're hypocrites. Exactly. That's, that's exactly who Jesus died for. Those people become our brothers and sisters in Christ. And weirdly, we need to learn to see them the same way that Jesus sees them. As people worth dying for. As people we can call brothers and sisters. As people who are being drawn to the very heart of God. People who are trying to become more and more like Him every day. And this changes the way we deal with people who are in communities of color. Who are crying out, Black Lives Matter, and feel like no one is listening. Who are longing for justice in the world in which we live. Likewise, people who walk streets and try to defend people from bad guys on a regular basis. 
and who don't understand why everyone wants to call them a racist for trying to do their job. And so you and I have to deal with a still more excellent way to be people who love one another richly and deeply and say, look, I may disagree with you, but you are my brother or my sister in Christ. That we begin to see the world that way really is divided into two groups of people. There are those who are part of our family, brothers and sisters who can say our father who know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there are those who do not yet know that Jesus Christ is Lord, who the father desperately wants to bring into his family. If you know the father well, you will want more people to call him father. And so the more that we pray this prayer, the more we begin to love one another the way that Jesus loves us. Because we begin to recognize our family likeness and our relationship, this amazing gift that we've been given in one another. That, in fact, all over the world, there are people right now who are praying this prayer. Like at this very second, I am certain there is someone of a different race, of a different tribe, of a different country, of a different language who is praying our Father right now. My brother or my sister. There are people in slums and in garbage dumps and in dark holes and in brothels who are praying that prayer right now. There are people in great mansions and in places of power who are praying that prayer right now. There are people all over the globe. There are people who are absolutely our enemies who would shoot you if they saw you who are praying that prayer right now. And the question really, friends, is whether we're praying the prayer and we're getting more and more into this, into this likeness that we've been called into. If we can begin to see one another as family and realize that we are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet this prayer is somewhat exclusive. To call him Father is to acknowledge that he and he alone is God. And that there are no other copies. There are no other pretenders to that throne. There's only Jesus Christ, God the Father, and God the Spirit. But it's this amazing mystery that you and I have been brought into this incredible family. The uh, guy who used to run the seminary I was a part of, uh, was named Rich Mao, and Rich Mao had lots of good stories. He talked about the day he, he began to understand the church. It was in a diner in the south. He was uh, hanging out with a Catholic priest, and they were a couple of Yankees who'd gone south of the Mason-Dixon line. They were sitting and getting breakfast, and some eggs, and some bacon, and some coffee had arrived. And alongside them, there was this small mound of grayish-white stuff. And the priest looked at the waitress and said, uh, Ma'am, what is this? And she said, honey, these are grits. Uh, what, what's a grit? Honey, they don't come by themselves. Grits. And Rich Mouse said, but ma'am, we, did, we didn't order these. Just, Honey, you don't order grits. They just come. And she walked away. And he said, I was just, I was amazed by this simple thing that there's no such thing as a grit, there are only grits. There's no such thing as a Christian, there are only Christians. Only Christians, there's only the church. We don't come by ourselves. We don't get to do that. We don't actually get to call God our Father as though we owned him. We call him our Father because he owns us. Because we are his children. And there's this amazing grace in the midst of that, if you're looking for it, that you don't have to order them, they just come. They just come along with this great good Father that we've been invited into, this family. This is the good news. Are you praying to this God? Are you praying to the right person? Because if you're not praying to the right person, then it's really easy to hate other people in our country. If you're not praying to the right person, it's really easy to say, I don't need the church, I can do this life on my own. If you're not praying to this 
Father, it's really easy to live in a world where your prayers about yourself are the only things that matter. Are you praying to the right person? Our Father. The one in the heavens. Uh, the word for heaven in Greek is also the word for sky. And it's something that we miss a little bit, right? It, it, our, our Father who's also in the sky would be a very good translation. And the reason that Jesus says this, and the reason that those words mean those things, is that in every time other than our time, people could look up at the sky and see weather and stars and dark and light and blue, and also a spiritual reality that was beautiful and mysterious. And in our time, we only see the, the weather and the stars and facts and formulas, and we miss the spiritual reality. And we think that that makes us more sophisticated, but I actually think it impoverishes our imagination that we can't see the world as a spiritual and mysterious and beautiful place anymore. But the important thing about that is that when Jesus talks about our Father in the heavens, those people would have thought of that as a place, a location. Like if I said our Father who is in New Jersey, you would think of that as a place, a location, maybe far away, maybe one you've not been to, but a very real place. But when we say heaven, you and I, we don't look up in the same way anymore, and so we don't necessarily think of that as a place. We think of it as a spiritual reality, but because it's spiritual, that might make us think it's less of a reality. And this is really important. God's reality is far more real than our reality. The place where I'm standing right now is wispy and thin by comparison to the reality of the God of the universe. And I can't talk too much about that because we're going to talk about it more in other sermons. But where I am is much less real than where God is right now. And what Jesus offers us is a connection to that reality, a very real place, the heavens, where God absolutely is and is listening right now. And so prayer becomes this technology, a way of communicating back and forth. There was a kind of technology um, that used to be in everybody's house that was really, really good at this. I don't, you probably don't know, some of you may remember this. Uh, it was a thing that was in everybody's house. It plugged into the wall. Uh, there, was, there was a cord, and it connected to a thing, and it would ring sometimes. And you would pick it up, and then you would hear someone's voice, and you would talk into it. It had buttons and a dial, and you had the ability to call other people, and it would ring in their house. It was an amazing device. It was called a phone. And I know that some of you are thinking, I have one of those. I'm, I'm looking at you on that phone right now. I, I have one of those in my pocket. Do you? Is that what that really is? Or do you have a video player slash game device slash phone, maybe, but really messaging device that you can type to people on? Or uh, the ability to buy hammers and bananas and probably sheets if you needed them? Do you have a, a news browsing device and the ability to connect with a whole bunch of people's pictures who are true strangers to you? Is it really a phone or a way of connecting to the world around us? Is that really its purpose? To talk to other people? When beyond the pandemic have you used your phone as a phone? Most of the time that's not what we do with it. But the telephone when it was invented was a magical device. Because you could already send people messages. There was mail, there were telegrams. You could already buy things from a distance. There were catalogs. You could already send people pictures. That existed. But there was something missing for people, an intimacy of connection that could only really happen if you were listening for somebody else's voice. That could only really happen if they could hear your voice. The word telephone means voice from a distance. And there was an intimacy in that kind of connection took the world by storm. 
Uh, prayer is this lost piece of technology where we get to hear God's voice and where God can hear our voice. It's a thing that many of us don't even understand how to use anymore. Sometimes we'll think about prayer and we'll go, why do we really pray? I mean, do I pray to inform God? Well, he already knows a lot of things. Do I pray to ask God for things? Well, he already has a plan for a lot of things. Do I pray because it makes me feel better? Well, prayer isn't really just about me. And sometimes I'll be talking to people and they'll say, well, I prayed and it didn't work. And I'll think, okay, so prayer for you is like a vending machine? Like if I push the right buttons, like a thing... A thing should have cut, and you tried whacking, and it didn't work. You just you walk away frustrated. And, and some of us really misunderstand what prayer is, the kind of technology, the sort of connection that it offers. I love my wife, and I talk to my wife all the time. I, she's trying to sleep, and I chatter at her like a monkey. But she's an introvert, and I'm an extrovert, and that's a large factor in our relationship. I'm always talking about things to my wife. I'm telling her what happened in my day, even though she already knows, and I'm sometimes repeating a story. I'm often telling my wife about things she already sort of senses about how I'm feeling. I'm often telling my wife about things I'd like her to do, or things that I really need from her right now. And sometimes my wife does those things, and sometimes she just looks at me. And sometimes I ask her five, six, seven, eight times, and she does them, and sometimes she just looks at me. And sometimes she just outright says, no, do it yourself. And all of these sorts of interactions are the kinds of things you would expect in a real, deep, intimate relationship. One in which we actually talk to one another. And it would be crazy if I only thought of my relationship with my wife as asking her to do things for me. Asking her to give me things, asking for things that I really want, telling her things that I really need and that I'm frustrated that I don't have. That would be a bad relationship with my wife. Likewise, if I only talked to my wife because it made me feel better, that would be a really bad relationship with my wife. At some level it involves asking and talking about how you feel and feeling better and, and sitting sometimes just in silence and sometimes hearing no and sometimes asking a lot and getting yes and, and sometimes just talking because you just want a relationship with somebody and you, you just want to be closer to them. That's what prayer is. It's a way of connecting with someone that you want to be closer with. Someone who's in a way in a different place. Our Father, the one in the heavens but who's very interested in, in having a relationship with us. It says uh, in the New Testament that Jesus is the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father. That Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, who, who died for you and me on the cross, after he rises from the dead, sits next to God and is constantly listening to our prayers, constantly talking to God about us. That's the thing that God talks about all the time, you. God is constantly talking about you, and he loves it, actually, when you join that conversation. Loves it when you want to be a part of that conversation. And he's really okay when you go, God, I don't really like or understand the world the way that it works. And he's really okay when you say, I'm really mad at you. Because that's normal in any relationship. He's really okay when you ask him for things. He also thinks it's weird that we always expect those things to just show up at our door. Again, a relationship with God is not like Amazon Prime. You don't just get two-day shipping on everything that you ask for whenever you ask for it. We've badly misunderstood the phone, and I think we've badly misunderstood prayer. Now, prayer is not the same thing as wishing. The difference, really, between prayer and wishing is who you're talking to. Wishing is when I talk out loud about things that I would like, or think to myself about things that I would like. But prayer is when you talk to another person about maybe things that you would like, and other things, hopefully. But it doesn't necessarily assume that you're going to get those things. 
It just means that you're talking to someone. In this case, our Father, the one in the heavens, the right person. There's a difference between prayer and worrying. Worrying is when you talk out loud about things that frighten you, or think to yourself about all the things that could go wrong. And sometimes if you add a name to that, you might think of that as prayer. But that's not necessarily prayer. The question is, are you actually talking to the right person? That's the difference between prayer and worrying. Are you talking to the right person? The Father who really cares about what's going on in your life, but also the one who's got real power. The one who's up in the heavens right now, looking down on all of us. Who's very much in a real place, who's very much on the move in our world, who really does have some things to say if only we would listen. Who really will give us things if we ask. And who really will say no sometimes when we want things. Our Father, the one in the heavens. A real God with a real will, with a real plan all his own, who desperately loves you, who sees you as someone worth dying for, who's called you into this family, the head of which is Jesus Christ. Are you talking to the right person? And if you're not the best solution in the world, start praying this prayer. This prayer will teach you how to talk to the right person. Set an alarm on your phone for when you wake up in the morning, just make it five minutes earlier. And prayer this, pray this prayer a few times. Set an alarm on your phone for when you would usually go to bed just five minutes earlier. And pray this prayer. At noon, when you have a lunch break, pray this prayer. I'm not saying you have to do each and every one of these times. But pick a time throughout this week and actually pray this prayer. And pray it every day, maybe, while we're going through this series. Every day we go through this series, make that a challenge for yourself. Can I pray the Lord's Prayer every day? Can I get a better sense of who it is that I'm talking to? Because we want to talk to the right person, our Father, who art in heaven. Would you pray with me?